The Fader Hypothesis is an alleged digital production. If you're interested in making business content with interest or want to tell your story in a future episode, you can contact us at info at Hi, my name is Vivian Chan, and you're listening to The Failure Hypothesis. Over the course of this podcast series, I'm going to be talking to some of the most interesting leaders from all around the world, from Brazil to the UK, from India to America, all about failure. We'll be testing the simple hypothesis that radical honesty about failure is the secret to success, but is it really that simple? Sometimes, is it better to just keep moving forward? Why can't we just think like a rocket scientist when it comes to failure? To help us find out the answer to these questions and more, we've assembled a dream team of guests that includes the chief scientist of a global tech company, the president of a major record label, a private equity titan, and a Webby award-winning podcaster. For new listeners who want to learn more about the failure hypothesis and a timeless mission to get the leaders of today and tomorrow all talking more openly about failure, please check out episode one, wherever you get your podcasts. My guest today is Roberta Luca, a charismatic and visionary leader who is no ordinary entrepreneur. She describes herself as an entrepreneurial anarchist, and I'm sure we'll discover today she's earned that title the hard way. For those who haven't been lucky enough to hear Roberta speak yet, her CV should explain why she's such a sought-after speaker. As a co-founder of the games company Bossa Studios, she wanted BAFTA for her first game, but she didn't stop there. She founded multiple businesses, is the host of one of my favorite podcasts, Hyper Curious, and was named as one of the Forbes Top 50 Women in Tech. As a friend and fellow founder, I've admired Roberta for a long time, and I'm excited to give her the floor today to share her incredible story. So, Roberta, hello. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. What an introduction. I'm blushing now. <laughs> it's all you. It's all you. And I'm really hoping that we can actually dive in and share a little bit with the audience on how you actually have gone through the journey as an entrepreneur. Um, and I know that the theme is about the failure hypothesis. So if you're ready to go back, let's share some failure stories. Let's do this. Okay. So where did you want to start from the beginning? You said that you actually, your first success was that first company with Bossa Studios and you won BAFTA and you had, I think it's like now a multi-million dollar business, isn't it? It is, it is. We started in 2010 and I was in working corporate for most of my life. And I realized that working in these very large corporations made me very happy and unhappy at the same time. <laughs> I was uh, lucky to be with some great bosses who encouraged me to be an entrepreneur and I was mm, uh, mm. I was always like a challenger I never wanted to do you know everything all the projects the same that everyone was doing over and over again yeah. and I found myself being given the most 
crazy and innovative and wonderful projects and complex projects, right? To, to lead within the organization. And I, at some point, I had this opportunity to start my own company and I was like, wait a minute, that's actually what I should be doing in my life. And I how still- did, How did that happen from popping around as an entrepreneur and then was it just like a new project or how did that opportunity arise? So I know my co-founders for many years okay. and they, uh, they have been making games since ever. And I was in the entertainment industry. So I worked for a very large TV uh, broadcaster back in Brazil called Global TV. They're, I believe right now they're still the second largest TV broadcaster in the world. And, and so I've always enjoyed everything about creating entertainment for people. And when this opportunity came and these two friends of mine who have been creating games since ever came and said, look, there's an opportunity here. We're going to start a company. And I was like, I mean, I always wanted to work in the games industry because to me it's the future of entertainment. Mm. And it was like a, a no brainer for me. It was a very, very special moment to say, okay, now I'm ready to jump off the corporate and start oh. doing, being a challenger myself. Very exciting. And what kind of roles did you, because given there was three co-founders, um, how did you guys kind of divvy up um, who did what? So I, my background has been varied. My, I, my degree was in computer science, Ooh. but I drifted into product management and marketing. So I did an MBA in marketing back in Brazil as well. And so for me, it was all about they, uh, they, one of them looked after production. So producing the games, the other one is a game designer. So everything about the creativity and the design of the games. And my mission was to make people love the games that we created. So it was all about the publishing side of it. How do we make mm. it big? How do we make millions of people to come and play our game? Very, very, very nice. Um, so then do you want to take us through that journey of how you actually just won the BAFTA straight off and you had a great success straight off the bat? Yeah, it was a, an interesting one. We had uh, just released our first game and it was a Facebook, it was a game on Facebook. So it was the moment that all of the new games were being, you know, coming to to the world that were a little bit more casual and, and Facebook games was like, you know, becoming massive. So it was kind mm -hmm. of, it was called social games at the time. Mm -hmm. And we went into this category for the BAFTA was, which was browser games. Mm -hmm. And, and we were competing with the likes of, of electronic arts and Disney. It was like the, the competition was fierce in, in our category. And we got, we got two nominations and the first one didn't work, it didn't happen, right? So we just got mm -hmm. nominated, didn't win. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, I remember I was in the in the room and when they called the, the BAFTA winner is Monster Mind, which was our game. I still remember, I still have the feeling of that moment. I was like, what? Did they just say our game? <laughs> really? I couldn't believe in it. And it was a very thrilling moment. It was probably, yeah, the most exciting moment of my career. We went on stage, of course. Yeah. What was the category, category that you guys won for? Category was browser game. Yeah, because, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, at the time there wasn't like anything like social games mm -hmm. and social games were 
based on the browser, which is a very odd name for category, yeah. right? Very <laughs> unsexy. Uh, but it was a really cool game, I have to say. It was, it, it was super fun to play and we had like millions of people playing across the globe. And yeah, it was, uh, it was a very beautiful moment, very unexpected. I would never be able to craft something like that in my life. And, and, and you're saying you remember that moment so distinctively and probably that feeling of what did that just really happen? <laughs> what, what kind of like, and then therefore obviously winning that propelled you guys for success. So how, how did you find from coming from such a high, you know, high riding the high highs of the roller coaster? to coming back down to normality. And then also you kind of hinted at, actually then it's therefore not the successes, it's the failures that end up you learning the most from. No, you learn nothing from winning a BAFTA, from winning yeah. any award. Great, great feelings. <laughs> you have an amazing feeling. You have a lot of validation. You feel really good about that. Of course, as a startup, uh, a one one and a half year old startup that really put us in the map right so that was yeah. fundamental for us to be taken seriously amongst all of the different you know uh, startups around the world and indie gamers and etc so that was incredible from a reputation perspective but i learned nothing from there there was no you learn much more from failures than from successes right mm -hmm. and i remember we yeah we went back and it was like an amazing night we got all we had most of our team there we had booked two tables because we were so excited to be at the bafta awards for the first time in our lives mm -hmm. And and afterwards, yeah, you go back to work and off you go. You have to build your company. <laughs> you know, the thrill is, is it's like winning an Oscar, right? You still yeah, have to make instant. the film. <laughs> yeah, you still have to do it. Yeah. And, and was that harder, especially now that everyone kind of kept saying, oh, you guys are so amazing. Was the expectations, was there higher expectations? Yes and no. I think hmm. there was there was more of a validation and than an expectation. I think mm -hmm. people talk to us in a different way mm. because they saw, you know, we put everywhere that we want a BAFTA award, right? We're BAFTA winning company. Um, and there was, yeah, there's this kind of credibility provenance or whatever you call it, that people looked at us and say, okay, these guys are serious. Uh, I think we created a lot of expectation on ourselves because we're like, now we did that. We probably have to win a few more in the next <laughs> years to come. <laughs> One is not enough. One's Keep enough. them coming. Yeah, we, we got nominated multiple times afterwards, gladly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know um, you talked about this. You learn most from your failures. So if you're ready, do you want to share a little bit more about then the failure journey after Bosser Studios? So I... As I was doing Bossa Studios, I got the bug of the entrepreneur. And as one of my investors... How, how long in was this? Was this like two it, years in? Or? It was three years in. Mm -hmm. And as my one of my investors say, I, I became a parallel entrepreneur, not a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> because I was like, I can, I can do two companies at the same time. I'm a Wonder Woman. Right. I can make yep. things happen. Multitasking. Exactly. And and I got a 3D printer. 
and uh, actually my husband got a 3D printer and then and then he was printing a bunch of quite like you know parts and and tacky stuff mm-hmm. and I was like wait a minute can I can I print an earring there and he was like yeah can I print a bracelet there yeah can I print like a I don't know a piece of clothes that not yet the the, 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 the yeah the, the the materials are not ready for that and then I, I got so curious about that and I started to go into this rabbit hole of 3d printing and the more I understood the market of 3d printing and how things could change in the future because of the technology the more I got excited about it mm. and I I've been always uh following the whole fashion industry if you you know me right so I yeah. I, I love dressing in a very kind exactly. of different way <laughs> and colorful <laughs> and etc and very design-led um kind of you know young designer led and um stands out from the room definitely like that (laughs) oh roberta's here pop (laughs) yeah so i i was like wait a minute the fashion industry is so terrible it's the second highest polluting uh industry in the world after oil and Mm. 50% of the garments that you see in stores nowadays will end up in landfills of China because people just don't buy it. And that's Mm. why you have all this kind of 50, 90% off, you know, all these promotions going on. And and I was like, wait a minute, if if 3D printing evolved to the point that we can actually print clothes, that could be a massive benefit to the world, right? Firstly, you're not gonna have uh, pieces of clothing kind of logistically going all around the world. It will pollute less. People will only um, produce things that they want to use as opposed to just over over buying things, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, there is definitely a business there and I need to be the one leading that business, right? Mm-hmm. And and I started, I talked to a, a, an old friend of mine, colleague of mine from the my times at Nokia, and and I sat sat with him and said, Andrea, this is the idea, and this is my vision. This is how we want to do this. And he was in like literally after an hour conversation. He was like, Oh my God, we are, you're totally onto something. We have to do this together. Yep. And then I, and I was like, Oh my God, damn it! I'm gonna create another company now while I'm running another <laughs> one. Should I do that? But then I didn't blink. I said, no, I can do it. I'm Wonder Woman. I have this partner who's amazing. I have other co-founders at Boston who are yep. amazing as well. Yep. Talked to all of them, made sure that, you know, everyone would be okay with that. And of course, I would be fulfilling all the hours in, in everywhere and working my weekends and et cetera. And I did that. Oh, so you were still full time. I was oh, still full awesome. Yeah, I was still okay. full time at Bossa. Yeah. And then you're like turning the other way around, also kind of full time. Like you're doing two full time jobs. Exactly. Two full time jobs. And and I had another another team there. Of course, we started to build a team and we started to build the company and, and everything. So we ended up with Wonderlook, which is was the name of the company. We ended up uh, having partnerships with like dozens of designers across the globe. We had over 200 pieces, different pieces that were being 3D printed. So we started with jewelry. Mm-hmm. Uh, we raised funds to to run the company. And yeah, and we, we did a bunch of cool stuff together. And, and then things didn't work out very well, as you can imagine, right? I burned out. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So I still remember the, even you had, um, I think it was Box Park in Shoreditch. You guys yes. had a little exhibition or something there too. And I remember going in, I loved, I always loved what you wore. I think what we met in San Francisco, didn't we? Yeah. Through the UK kind of um, women entrepreneur program. And the first thing I was remembered was like, wow, Roberta is fun, funky, and I love her style. And to see that echo into the 3D printing jewelry was, you know, I was like, oh, this is a natural, right? Like, of course, Roberta will do this. <laughs> so, so what, what happened? It was, it was the burnt out that you reckon that ultimately was the failure or how did that unfold? It was a combination of things. Firstly, it, we realized how um, how uneducated the market was about the benefits of 3D printing. Mm -hmm. So we had, yeah, we had a shop at Box Park at some point. We had a pop-up at Topshop in Oxford Street. Uh, we had um, partnerships with Disney, with the V&A in London, with the Science Museum. So we did all sorts of different partnerships with different companies as well. But what we realized was that it was very difficult for people to understand the value of that because printing a 3D printed piece is way more expensive than producing anything in China, right? And and we couldn't command very high uh, prices because we didn't have like a well-known designer involved on that. Okay. So we kind of got in between in this kind of premium price point that people quite didn't understand so we, we struggled with selling right with the actually commercializing the products but also from my personal experience i was i was living this double life for many months <laughs> for a year for two years i don't oh, even wow. remember how long i was going by doing two companies and at some point it was very hard on me at some point it was like okay i need to i need to to do a, a break because it's uh it's just killing me personally mm. was it possible to i don't know delegate some of the work and in hindsight like would you have done anything differently in the way that how you founded the second business yeah definitely i i actually delegated quite a lot so mm. my my co-founder was uh, was most of the time the one in the operations and I'm, I, I was the communicator, the CEO, the kind of the one kind of taking the, 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 yeah, the word out. And so it was, it, it was a very good, well balanced between the two of us. And we also had a team, we had a three people team who was with us all the time. So, so we, I, I, I was very good at delegating stuff. I think it's just that, you know, doing two companies that are starting up, it's just really it takes on all of the time that you have in your life you have no no space in your agenda to to sleep properly to take a break for a weekend it's just not possible yeah i think this is one that definitely especially for the audiences those that are entrepreneurs will know this once you catch the bug it's it's not just the time of day it's the headspace that a, a startup or a project or an idea overtakes you so you know when you're starting up one thing you're always thinking about it it's 24 7 in a way you're trying to it always is. problem solve so i don't even know how you could do two yeah i don't know how i could <laughs> maybe i was very young at the time right <laughs> yeah i i'm still very young now looking back i'm like wow i was uh i was crazy but but i think that's that's who i am 
I I do I do believe that you have to take the risk to get lucky in life. Yeah. Yeah. And I usually, if I look back and all the decisions that I made from personal perspective, moving from Brazil to the UK, changing jobs, uh, personal decisions that I made as well, I I always took the the different route. I always took the kind of the the, the road that that was less traveled yeah. and uh, the riskiest uh, decision. And I think I did the same because I just felt it was the right thing to do. Yep. Yeah. And I, I don't regret anything. I, I think it was incredible what we've created. Of course, it wasn't just about me as a, as you know as a failure burning out, but the business didn't take off because you know, if you if you read about the three D printing world right now, the whole dynamics changed quite dramatically. Mm-hmm. The, the the early the early companies manufacturers of three D printers sold too early to the big yeah. manufacturers. Mm-hmm. And so the the innovation kind of didn't go as fast as I expected, and the price points for manufacturing stuff didn't go down. Yeah. So there was a lot of business aspects that also led us to not not having the company nowadays anymore. Yeah, which completely makes sense. Um, and in a way, it's very much uh, the right call, <laughs> um, especially with the burning out. Is I think a very important journey that every founder has to go through. But I, I am curious if you're willing to share, at, at what point did you make that decision that this isn't working out and that we should have that conversation with your co-founder? I believe I got to a point that I stopped believing in the vision of the company. Oh, wow. Okay. I was seeing all, I, I was observing all the movements of the market. Of course, I was looking at our sales, not taking off as, as fast as we expected. Um, looking at feedback from, from our customers, uh, looking which customers actually really liked the products. And at some point it was like, this is gonna be niche forever. And mm. it's gonna take a long, long time to get to the point that we have the right materials that we would be able to print garments that kind of warm you. And and I stopped believing that that vision would be happening anytime soon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and that is a very, you know, courageous and also, I guess, objective viewpoint of doing it because you're also the founder, you're so personally invested in it um, to be able to kind of step back and objectively go, hang on a second. Um, this isn't driving me. <laughs> this isn't actually where things are going to go. So did you take a break after you decided to, you know, wind up the second business? I did. And I I actually before, when, when I decided to part ways from the business, my co-founder still wanted to continue because he still mm. believed believed in that and yeah and we did you know i was very fair transferred a bunch of shares to him and then eventually um yeah the business uh, we decided to close down the business and we were very fair with our investors as well so we kind of looked into okay that's all we have in a uh, in, in in cash in the company uh, that's how we're going to distribute to to everyone who invested in us so far. So mm-hmm. so we went. We were very diligent on on the way that we we decided to part ways and to stop everything. 
which I feel very, very happy about. And, and again, I'm very grateful for my co-founder. He's, you know, amazing German guy who's very, very uh, specific on all this, the, the, the details the that need to, be t- exactly <laughs> need to be done for, for the, the right things to happen. And, and, and I was curious because you said that he, he's, you, you didn't believe in the vision anymore, but he kept going on and he actually still believed in the vision. How much longer did he try um, before you both decided this is it? For another year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then he kind of realized what you were saying. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then he was like, yeah, I think that's, uh... and also it was taking its toll on him, you know, as founders, right? It's like you have a, you have a reserve of money if you're not taking uh, a good salary from the company for mm-hmm. many different reasons. You have to have some sort of a savings to make sure that you keep going. So for him, it was like, I, I yeah, I, I need to, uh, to find a way to, you know, to sustain myself. Yeah. And, and, and I know you've talked a, a lot about the kind of, um, growth mindset, um, and also being the superwoman that you are <laughs> being able to go, 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 go and try everything because um, your luck is built out of risk taking. So I, there's something that's really interesting. And especially for me as well, who've made that transition from a founder to CEO. Um, you think, do you think the skill sets are quite different and how is it, how important is it to recognize, you know, as a founder, what's right for you and what isn't and when to move on? You have to have deep self-awareness and understand deeply your values, your strengths and your weaknesses as well, right? Mm -hmm. The things that you're not very good at and the things that you, uh, you would be happy to get other people who are very good at doing. And I always question why should a founder be a C-level officer? Why do you need to be the CEO? Why do you need to be the CMO? I've been the CEO, the CMO of my companies all the time, but it's like, the the you have to i question that yeah. why do you need to do that yeah. because founders are the creators of the business they are the creative force the visionaries of the businesses and sometimes that's what they bring to the table and we don't we don't feel sometimes that's enough yeah and and we try to go into different you know areas as c level people that doesn't make us as happy or it doesn't make us add so much value to the company anymore so founders who have not the you know the strength to be c-level why are you putting yourself into this position and look i i i think i'm a big believer in change and evolution and you know learning i'm hyper curious person i'm learning all the time but there are certain things about my nature and about the, the things that make me happy and the, the stuff that is connected to my own values that I, I think that's the best thing that I can bring to the world that I can contribute. And sometimes it's not being a C-level person. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. So, so in all your businesses, you've naturally um, kind of fallen into the C-suite in all of them, CEO and CMO and everything that you mentioned. Um, what, in hindsight now, like what would you rather call yourself? Just the founder or what would... Yeah, if there was a title, what would you recommend founders to explore? Mm, that's such a good question. Um, 
the first thing that comes to my mind is entrepreneurial anarchist. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, I think, I, I think I'm a creative founder. Yeah. I'm a creative entrepreneur. I am half scientist, half artist, and I don't like labeling myself mm -hmm. anything. I'm totally a multipotentialite. I believe in multipotentiality, which is yeah. The, let's get on to that. I really want to. I'm curious on that. Yeah. I yeah. I, I I don't think we uh we should be labeling ourselves as one thing, having one career, having one dream, having one, you know, um, title. I I believe that titles really trap us mm -hmm. in in jobs that are not really stimulating what we can bring the best to the world and to the company that we're building yeah and i think that is so true because i mean us humans we're not just one identity <laughs> I, i i've actually struggled with this myself um where at one point all i was doing was being the founder and ceo of sparrow <laughs> that i've lost my other identities of i am a daughter <laughs> I'm also a sister. I'm also an auntie. I also have a best friend. There's like multiple different dimensions for someone. And yeah. it's very interesting that uh, career-wise, it's all kind of specialized, specialized, specialized because society can put you in a box. <laughs> um, and I, that was kind of what I was initially thinking when you were saying that, yeah, how come, how, how come founders are just automatically put into the C-level jobs? Is that just because it's easier for investors to know what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Like, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. Is, is it because these titles are there so that society can kind of go, oh, we give you money because we know you're going to bring that to life and we bring that to life by, oh, that generally is the role of a CEO, for example. People, people need labels. People need shortcuts. And I think when you, uh, when you define a title, that's what you're doing, right? Suddenly you talk to someone and they ask what you do and you say your title and suddenly there's a shortcut there for, for the other person to say, okay, uh, can they help me? Uh, do they have the same status as I have? Mm -hmm. uh, how do I connect with that person? And it causes all sorts of, you know, um, bad behavior of human the worst in human beings, right? Which is peacocking, uh, comparison, jealousy. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a shortcut, yes, but I, I think we it, it's a bad habit. I, I don't believe that we should be answering the question about what you do, because that's triggering the worst in human behavior. Yeah, It's all about what can you do for me when you say, this is what I do, as opposed to, tell me more about who you are as a whole person, mm -hmm. as multiple identities as, as we have, right? And, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff about personal branding as well that we could blame on that because we personal branding is about inheriting a lot of company branding principles into how we brand ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is, a, there is a, a different way to do that. And I think it's also very good for business because... Even though the traditional businesses want, want you to have a, a title because you become more predictable and repeatable, right? Which, you know, in, it, it could help with revenues. Um, 
actually the new generations, uh, young millennials, Gen Z, etc., they are already born multipotentialites. Yep. Because of the internet, because of the exposure they have, all the stimulus that they have. And so if, you, if you're not nurturing these people for them to be part of your organization, you're going to lose them. They're going to do other things. They're going to have multiple side hustles and they're going to be happy with that. And then you're not going to be retaining as a leader. You're not going to be having that person super fulfilled and happy inside your organization. Yeah, that is really well said. And, and I think in, especially in tough times in a startup, it's really how the team looks at the leader and how they navigate failures. Um, and often I would say it does come down to the founder's personality. Um, it's not the title that they are CEO, it's Roberta. So who, what's Roberta going to do now <laughs> um, when the company's at rock bottom? Did you feel that that's often the case? Like, do you feel the need to kind of lift your team up and inspire and lead, especially when times are really tough? Absolutely. It's uh... Look, motivation needs to start with you, right? You have to be uh, to be a great founder. You need to be able to pick up from yourself the moments that you feel very low and there are troubles in the organization, which happens all the time. There's always something, always a problem to be fixed. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it starts from you. You need to make sure that you're nurturing your mind and you're nurturing your energy so that you can stay self-motivated. And, and your attitude and your actions say a lot to your employees because they are, they're just, you know, they're part of it. It's, it's like having kids, right? Mm -hmm. if, you, if, if you have kids and start swearing all the time, mm -hmm. how come you're going to ask your kids not to swear? Because they're just copying you. They're just like, oh, this is, this is what good looks like. <laughs> and so, and so I, I, yeah, and so I, I think there is something about how you behave and how you from being vulnerable to being high achiever you have to have the right balance on your day-to-day -day, but also uh be mindful of how you're going to be telling this to to your team right because every single word that you say can be interpreted in many different ways so you need to have a very intentional leadership mm. style uh to different individuals in the organization who needs different things from you. And, and do you do you feel that you are, uh, I don't think the word better is the right word, but uh, uh, a greater leader because you failed in a few other businesses? Do you think that makes you a better leader now? Absolutely. I think it makes me a better leader, a better human being. I think failure allows us to change more rapidly it give us the opportunity to see the things that are not working in a very harsh way, right? And, and by doing that and being acutely aware of what are the things that didn't go as you planned and therefore became a failure, uh, allow you to be much more honest about your strengths and much more honest about the setup that you want to create that will eventually succeed. So if you're not, if you're not failing, you're not taking enough risks. And if you're taking a lot of risks, you're failing all the time. And so if you don't start enjoying the process of failing, 
you will be a very unhappy entrepreneur. <laughs> that is so such an important mindset to have. For all the listeners listening out there, I think Roberta's just hit on the right the the most important point of as well that you need to enjoy failing. <laughs> and I'm guessing failure brings a lot of uncomfortable feelings, right? It brings uncomfortable feelings and it brings the opportunity for you to face a lot of your shortcomings mm. and shortcomings that you would never realize that you had. And I know there are a lot of people, I know that we all try to say all the time, like failure is not personal. It's about the business. It's not about you. And, and I, I know that all entrepreneurs who I know try to tell this to themselves. It's about the business, <laughs> not about me. But we, but take, we always still take it personally. Right? We take it personally because yeah. it's a journey of failing all the time. And if you're not embracing that, if you're not enjoying, if you're not enjoying failure, you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, and you know what? That's true for scientists. That's true for yeah. artists. That's true for yeah. creatives. Yes. That's true for yeah. kids, you know? <laughs> they are the best ones for us to learn from. They fail all the time and they just oh, play yeah. with that and love doing that, right? And over and yes. over again. Yes. And now thinking about the new title, it's not just uh, once you're a founder, you should be the, the kid in residence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a great one. <laughs> Because you're right. That's how they learn. That's how they grow, right? That's how they learn whether to curse because of the environment around you or not, right? Um, I think that's very well said. I'm just going to read a little bit about the failure hypothesis because that's the theme of the show. And I kind of want to see what you think. So our greatest failures are our most important experiments. Yet emotion often prevents us from examining and learning from these unexpected outcomes. There is constant pressure to celebrate success and hide failure. However, if we practice radical honesty and have the strength to be vulnerable, then we can turn our failures into a secret of our success and help others do the same. So Roberta, are you a failure hypothesis believer or a skeptic? Skeptic. Ooh, I like this. <laughs> Tell me more. As an entrepreneur, I'm an optimistic, and I believe a lot of creative entrepreneurs are too. And we tend to filter the bad things that happen to us and just focus on overcoming the problem. So we're always looking at the future. We are enjoying the failures, we're going through the failures, but why am, am I going to be you know, in the moment that I'm going to be um, into myself to be suffering over and over from the failure because that's something I overcame. That's mm-hmm. part of my past already. I've learned. I've done it. I know the solution. I'm going to be do- doing different now and let's move on. And so I, I don't like to be, oh, what's the word? Um, you know, there's a word in Portuguese called remoendo, which is a little bit like dwelling, mm-hmm. but it's a little bit deeper than dwelling. I just don't like, and I don't think a lot of successful entrepreneurs enjoy dwelling over and over again with uh, something that happened in the past and all those failures because you already learned and you moved on and you're already looking at your future again. 
Well, if everyone has your growth mindset and your optimistic personality, <laughs> then um, you know maybe like you can share. How do you move on from that dwelling? Do you kind of like have a bad day? You go to bed. You wake up. You're like, okay, let's move on. Yes. Oh wow. <laughs> yes. Not even two days or three a week of. <laughs> no, sometimes it can take more than two more than two days. But I. Okay, I have I do a lot of things in my mornings that mm-hmm. really help me. I I love doing meditation and not meditation like you know the traditional one, focus on your breathing or etc. It's the meditation that I learned from Naval, the founder of Angelist, which is basically sitting down and doing nothing for mm-hmm. an hour. Just clearing your mind. Just clear your mind. And sometimes you you're gonna be there's gonna be days that you're gonna be like thinking about everything, the banana you didn't eat yesterday, (laughs) the meeting that's going to happen and, you know, everything. But sometimes you just clear your mind. And I'm very fortunate that I have a very nice window on on my living room that I can look outside, which is I'm looking right now. Yes, your apartment's beautiful. And I appreciate the clouds Mm -hmm. in London, which I know it feels very... um, very odd to say that but I love looking at the clouds (laughs) I love looking at the clouds moving around and like knowing that at every single second it's going to be completely different because it moves very fast and I can see them now they're moving super fast yeah and so that moment of uh, appreciation and gratitude and I know this word is overused right and almost cliche at the moment the gratitude about the world mm-hmm. is what I try to exercise every day so when I'm in 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 the moment that I, I feel that I'm, I'm feeling the weight of the failure and it's really killing my days I try to reconnect with nature by looking at the clouds I call my mom and I have like a two hour conversation with her or my sister. Yeah. You know, I, I, I try to move my body. I do some yoga. I watch some videos that I, that motivate me, you know, from people who motivate me online. And suddenly by, you know, taking lots of different actions and trying to put myself into my body again and into a, 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 a more appreciative uh, mindset, it really makes a difference. Wow, that is, I think, and you do all of that in the morning. I do all of that in the morning. I I have two hours in the morning that are dedicated to to doing a few things. I don't do all of them every day, but I do at least one, Mm -hmm. which is some form of exercise, even if it's just, you know, half an hour stretch. Um, I look at the clouds in meditation state. Mm -hmm. I eat a, a, a healthy breakfast and that's it so yeah i usually have a combination of those three and nowadays i'm singing as well i'm learning how to sing which i absolutely love oh this is actually very interesting i feel like our journey as a as a founder to get here is very similar because now um the clouds thing i've i've heard as well especially from andy on headspace as well about how you let your ideas sorry let your thoughts kind of come and come by and you just objectively view them. But I also like you uh, practice mindfulness every morning, do yoga every morning, um, and then had to learn to also practice gratitude every morning, which is a journey for me, like to, to get to 
do the same, very similar things to where you are now. I didn't know that. I didn't have someone tell me that. Um, when yeah, I first no, out, right? I, exactly. I, I, and all of these I learned through uh, trial and error. It was basically mm -hmm. experimentation. It was like, what if I do this? What if I do that? And then I get the, yeah, this, uh, listen to this, this podcast with uh, Tim Ferriss that mm -hmm. Nava was talking about this meditation that he just sit for an hour and do nothing. I was like, I'm going to try that because I wasn't, I wasn't even into meditation. I didn't even know that Headspace was talking about the clouds or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, it was basically through trial and error and and i recently i bought a um it's it's kind of a notebook called the, the five minute journal mm -hmm. and and it's amazing because it's literally like five different questions that prompt you to to talk about things that you're grateful for uh -huh. and then in the evening you write down the stuff that happened that you were very uh happy about the day and i think through that practice you you always kind of anchoring yourself back yeah. into what really matters in the world and you you think less about the big failures and more about the big picture oh my gosh roberta we're exactly the same we've i'm, nice. I'm also journaling i do it in the first thing in the morning so i also write five things i'm grateful for um and i yeah. And, and for me, I think it's that pen and paper connection of writing things down and and also being grateful, calling out the gratefulness, but then also why I'm grateful. Yeah. I think that last part of making it personal to me was really something that I've just had to learn. So it's um, so rewarding to hear that, you know, all founders have to go through the same journey. It's, it's incredible. And you know what? I I. I kind of again it was a lot there was a lot of iteration because I started by doing the morning pages. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of this book called The Artist Way. No. And Julia Cameron wrote this book ages ago and and it's basically for people to find the artist in themselves. Uh -huh. And and the practice is every day you write uh, three pages of A4 writing about anything that you have in your mind. Mm -hmm. There's no prompt, there's no question. You can just write, I, I woke up feeling tired today. I feel hungry. I should have, I should not have taken a glass of wine yesterday. <laughs> I wanna call my mom. You know, you can write whatever comes to your mind. And this practice kind of makes all of the noise and a lot of the random, crazy and useless thoughts be trapped in the paper yeah yeah and then you start your day in a brand new way so i was doing that for almost a year and then i yeah and then i kind of drifted off got out of the habit and then went into the habit of the the gratefulness journal and and it's been great very and, and you feel like it's easier at night to kind of just recapture rather than doing it in the morning I do in the morning and in the night, so okay, it takes me like yeah, yeah. So so with with this, I I can I can send you the link and you can put on the on 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 the podcast. Yeah, please do. It's a, yeah, super cool book. It's very simple. It's a, a a small one page that just have yeah. You have a few prompts for the morning and a few prompts for the evening. Well, I want to come back to the singing because I also pick okay. myself up 
I also tried to do singing uh, during ah, lockdown. Nice. Uh, <laughs> there's something about, like you said, the artists, trying to find the artists in us. And there's something that I found very therapeutic with singing. I don't think I'm the best singer. I don't think. No, I'm a terrible singer. But it's the act of singing and the voice resonating um, that creates vibrations in the body that, I don't know, it just gives me a high of really great energy. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know, like how you pick that up. And yeah, tell us a little bit more about singing. So I'll start from the beginning. I I changed my role in the beginning of the year uh, at Bossa. Instead of being fully operational, I'm now non-executive director. Mm. And and it was all planned. You know, we kind of put together a, a, a completely different team and, you know, all, all, all very good. Um, and I'm still, of course, board director, very much involved in the strat strategy side of the business, but not so much in the day to day anymore. Yeah. And, and I went through this process of, uh, of relearning about myself and saying, okay, so what, what do I want to do in my life? How do I want to spend my time that, you know, some of the time that is now becoming free and I didn't want to start another business, not, not at least right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I started to be very reflective about the stuff that I always wanted to do. And one of the things in my list, I have a list of about 10 different things, as you do, <laughs> as a most potentialite. <laughs> um, and, and one of the things in my list is to learn how to sing because I always loved singing since I was a child and I never really had time or, or the you know intention to, to learn and to develop my voice. And, and it was very interesting that I started that as being like one of my experiments for the year. Mm. So I set a few experiments that I would do every three months this year in 2021. Wow. And, and singing was the first one. And then I said to myself, I'm going to do for three months. And my goal will be at the end of three months, I'm going to go and do uh, sing a song that I can sing very well through the training, mm -hmm. through practice on an open mic stage. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so that was my goal. goal. <laughs> yeah. And, and you were training yourself like, like informally, or did you have a, a singing coach or? Yeah. So I have two singing coaches mm -hmm. and I went through all, if I felt like I was recruiting someone, right. For a startup, <laughs> I, I literally interviewed about 10 different teachers Wow. and I found two of them that were very complimentary, one very technical, the other one, very, um, very artistic mm -hmm. and and I have been taking classes every week with them and and also I joined a, another another one that is called yeah the sync space that this lady who's uh, who's been teaching people in musicals musical mm -hmm. theater mm -hmm. for many years she's amazing and she set up this uh, this community that I have classes live classes with her every single morning oh cool in a in a group right in a group yeah. setting yeah and so that kind of created this uh, rhythm for me to to practice singing at least one hour every day mm -hmm. and that's what i have been doing and and i went from i want to master one song to now having like a 10 songs on my repertoire that i want wow. to master <laughs> wow. what genre are you singing uh it's a mixture of bossa nova of oh, cool. um, jazz oh, and yeah. love songs and you know all sorts of stuff 
And so I, I postponed my open mic thing because now I don't want to do just one song. I want to be ready for three songs. And yeah, and I'm also talking to a few friends who are musicians mm -hmm. who, who, could, who, who are into creating music as well. So I want to create brand new original music. Oh, wow. Very exciting. Yeah. Watch the space. You should let Watch us know space. what happened. <laughs> <laughs> but, but to your point, Vivian, it's like the, the, it, it kind of, I think the process is very exciting because as you said, you learn so much about your body, about how your posture is, how you can change your voice in many different ways, how you, you're not aware of your muscles on your, on your neck and your larynx and etc. So all of those things are kind of amazing learning for me as a hyper curious person, like, wow, I'm learning so much about my body and about how I can feel much better in my body and communicate in a different way through singing. Yeah, so we obviously uh, are going to be awaiting for your new album. Um, <laughs> but as a multi-potentialite, you are doing a couple of other things as well in parallel, including Hypercurious, the podcast. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit more? I think you've got a TED talk and maybe some exciting TV things happening. Yeah, lots of things happening. So Hypercurious started at the beginning of the lockdown last year. Mm -hmm. And and it came from this, um, this perspective that I believe all the artists and founders, entrepreneurs, scientists, people, they are, they achieve great things in their lives because they are hypercurious. Mm. And I'm a hypercurious person myself and I wanted to interview all these incredible people who have been following their curiosity to achieve great things. And and I interview people like Viv Groskop, um, uh, Mo Gaudet, Alan Hamilton, wow. and many, many different, near AL, many different amazing people who have been uh, researching or living those lives themselves. And I absolutely loved that. It was, it was again, I, I, I had a YouTube channel for uh, about three years ago, started three years ago, and I felt very lonely at some point because I was creating all this message to the world, to young entrepreneurs, to, to you know, inspire them to, to be better entrepreneurs. And, and I was just talking to the camera. And then when I, and a lot of people were saying, oh, you should do a podcast. Why don't you do a podcast? You, you're so engaged. You should do that. I was like, okay, I'm going to have a go. And, and I had a go and I absolutely loved it. So yeah, I've done two, two seasons and more seasons to come in the future. Ooh, and where can people check this out? On Spotify, on iTunes? Yeah, fa favorite, wherever they're listening <laughs> to right now. Spotify, Apple, iTunes, your favorite podcast player, wherever they, they want to, to check. And um, and to the to the other projects, uh, yeah, I'm, as a most potentialite, I like to, to have a lot of different things happening. And and it feels like the TV world is kind of knocking back on my doors, uh, which, you know, was where I started my career. And and I, I, I participated in a couple of TV shows that will air next year. Um, as mentor and um, judge and etc. But I, I cannot say much because of NDAs. Of course. Is but it in the UK or is it internationally? Uh, one is international, the other one is in the UK. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So thank you, Roberta, for being so honest. There are so many exciting projects to come. Um, and we'll be cheering you on as a Failure Hypothesis alumni. 
uh, and I'm sure I'll probably be seeing you uh, around the corner anyways <laughs> um, for a drink. And for all our listeners, um, thank you for listening. Thank you for having me. And I want to say one last thing. For all entrepreneurs listening to us, remember when you are in failure mode that the low moments happen in slow motion mm. and the high moments happen on fast forward. So enjoy the best you can. You've been listening to The Failure Hypothesis with me, Vivian Chan. To hear other inspiring stories from unique leaders, please subscribe to The Failure Hypothesis on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Failure Hypothesis, a Malejo digital production. To find out more about making and appearing in business content with interest, visit our website at malejodigital.com.